something else. That, that we're doing what God has called us to do. And so today, I, I want to talk a little bit about that. But I want us to remember first that Pastor Chris is in Dawson today. Thank you for allowing me to be there last week and for the life group leaders that stepped up and took roles and we had some confusion with the computers and different things happened. But you guys stepped up and you led and I'm very grateful for that um, in this transition as we move forward. So we're talking today about perfectly imperfect. We're talking today about life groups. We're talking today about family ties, how we're all knitted together so perfectly in the body of Christ. And no matter if we have parents or guardians or people in our life that make really bad decisions, it hurts in the moment and our spirit may be down for a certain time. But when we reflect back on it and think, really that's irrelevant. Really that is just temporary. Because when it comes down to it, the man and the woman, the lady, the child, sitting to my left and right, that's my family. That's who God put here with me. Now, my family personally lives in Fairhope, Alabama, six and a half hours south of here. And people think that Alabama is rednecks and trailer parks. And I say, keep thinking that because we don't want you there. When I get old and retire down there, I don't want it to be busy. It's nice. It's like heaven on earth down in Fairhope. But that's my immediate family. And I love them with all of my heart. But for whatever reason, God called me to this place. And God placed me with you to do life together. And so I've have, I have friendships here that are stronger than any I've ever had in my life. I have things going on here with people that, that are stronger, that challenge me, that push me to my limits more than anything ever has in my life. I wasn't looking right at you, Sharon. I wasn't telling you. I see you back there. She's my buddy, though, so we can do that. So I want to start here. Let's start right here. In the book of John, in chapter 1, in the mindset that we're all part of God's family, it says that there was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to testify concerning that light, and so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Verse 9, it says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the world was made through him. And the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And in verse 12, it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to all of those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of a natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And so the scripture, we know, if you've been in church a minute, that the scripture is referring to Jesus. And it talks about John the Baptist coming before him. And it says he's not the light. John the Baptist was not the light. But he was one that Jesus put out there, that God put out there, that said there is one to come that is greater. There is one to come that is the true Messiah. There is one to come that will meet all of your needs. And he says that all of those who believed in this one that he spoke of to come, all of those who received the truth, which were not his immediate family, if you remember, was not the people that he grew up with around his little town there. It says all that received have the right to become children of God. You see, all that profess the name of Christ have that right. Everyone sitting in this room today that at one moment in their life said, Jesus, I understand I'm a sinner. Jesus, I understand I'm separated from you because of that sin, and I need you in my life. You have that right. You may think, not me, 
Not me, you don't know my life. You don't know my thoughts. You don't know my actions. You don't know my friends. But you have that right. It's there. It's, it's up to you now to take that step and, and grab it and hold on to it. It says, as a child of God, we're given three things here. It says that the scripture would say that we are ambassadors. We are Christ ambassadors. Like we are the people that someone in your neighborhood sees. You're representing God to people around you. You're his ambassador. Ambassadors are an interesting thing because if I want you to be my ambassador, then I got to trust you because you're my face. You're my voice. When leadership is hard because when I trust you now, now when you step out and say something, guess what, Crystal? You're speaking for me. So I got to trust you. God trusts you because he said you're my you're going to be my ambassadors. You're going to go out and you're going to be my face to this broken world. It says that one day we're all sharing the inheritance of Christ. I'm not rich. My parents definitely aren't rich. I know very few rich people that I've read about people that inherit stuff. On TV, I can watch Strange Inheritance and see all these random things that people collect for eternity. And then when they pass away, their kids have it. And like, what am I going to do with all these little China dolls? I don't know. All these things that we have the ability, the opportunity, the right to share in the inheritance of Christ. Everything that God promises, all the goodness, all the holiness, everything that is right and just is laid out there for us to inherit when we accept Christ. It says one day we'll all be able to fully be in the presence of God. So that children of God, being in God's family, the Mount Zion family. We're all called to this. We're all called to be united. We're all called to be together. So as we continue this discussion on life groups, I think that life groups play a vital role not only in your life at Mount Zion, but I think they can play a vital role in your life away from Mount Zion. I think that your connection uh, to other believers can enhance or destroy your walk with God. I love what Chris has just started using in the last couple of weeks. It was in a book he read that the quote was something to this. I'll paraphrase that if you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Someone finished it for me. Good. You show me your friends and I'll show you your future because the people you hang out with are going to influence you. I challenge the students upstairs every Wednesday night that I get to speak to them. I say, are you being influenced by the people around you or are you stepping out and being the influencer? What are you doing? It's convicting to Russell, too, because it depends on what group of people I'm around, which way I'm going to fall. Jokes change, tone changes, topics change. But as the body of Christ, we're not allowed to change. We're not allowed to sit on the fence and one day fall this way and one day fall that way. God calls us to be holy and right and just and be that positive person in someone's life, leading them towards the cross. That's what we're called to do. So it can either enhance or it can destroy your life. You choose which way you want to go. Do you want to be around people that are going to be encouraging and lifting you up? Or are you going to be the person that says, I got this. It's all good. This morning is an a awesome morning. It's an awesome morning to be a, in ministry at Mount Zion Baptist Church. It's an awesome morning to be standing here in a, on a hot stage and preaching to you guys. There's a lot going on this morning. I don't know if you know it. There's a lot going on this morning. We've got uh, internets that don't want to work. We've got uh, people serving at a college that they have never driven a trailer before, so they're learning how to get a trailer from here to Clayton State. 
Pastor Chris is out of town, and we are trusting John with that group and saying, man, y'all go make it happen. We trust you. God is allowing us to do these things. And the only reason that I trust him, the only reason that we, Pastor Chris trusts me and we can do this thing together is because we've done life together. We talked about the word abiding in the youth group a few weeks back. And when I think about the word abiding, before I started studying it, it's one of those words you kind of read over. And it came from the scripture in John 15, 5, where Jesus says, if uh, you abide in me and I abide in you, then you can do great things. And we said, what does that word abide mean? To live. That's exactly right. I live with you. You live with me. If something's happening in your life, I know it. If something's happening in your life uh, or my life, you know it. And that way I'm not just walking up randomly every week saying, hey, how are you doing? And you say, good, and we shake hands and we walk away. But I know this week that a family member turned their back on you. I know this week that you lost a job. I know this week that someone passed away. I know things about your life. So when we step into a room together, it's not just the fake facade of, hey, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks. See you tomorrow. It's the, man, I know you're hurting. I know that what's happening in your life, and I'm praying for you. So abiding with one another, living life with one another. Last week, Pastor Chris told you guys about five things. Harmony, sympathy, brotherly love, uh, being tenderhearted, and being humble. And all those things are vital, are important, are key to our life together in life groups. Humility, I think, is the biggest thing that we need to teach this world. We need to teach the people we have influence over. Because anywhere you go, the, the, the genre, the people will say, it's all about me. They may not come out and say, it's all about me. But they live their life and I'm going to get mine. You, this is a great word they use. You do you. Worst advice you can ever give somebody, you do you. Because once you're over there doing you, guess what? Uh, over pe there's people all around you that you're, you're neglecting, that you're forgetting about. Well, I'm over here doing me and focused on me. It would never work on a sports team. It would never work in a classroom. And it definitely will not work in the body of Christ. You do you. We'll do we together, and we'll see where God leads. Each one of these things can be put together as living as a family, whether it's harmony, sympathy, having brotherly love, being tenderhearted, being humble. All those things I want you to be thinking about perfectly imperfect. How is the imperfect made perfect through the blood of Christ? And it's called us to live together as a family. So the things I want to talk about today. The first thing I want you guys to know and trust and believe and just let it soak into your soul was that you were created for God's glory. Every one of us in this room, regardless of our past, regardless of where we are today, were created for God's glory. The scripture will say this in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. 27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. One thing we've been doing on Wednesday nights is called Developing a Servant's Heart. It's by Charles Stanley. And you guys have all heard of Charles Stanley. I've heard him preach, have read his books. Amazing, amazing teacher, preacher, leader in our generation. The two main things he says in this book. Number one, God saved me because he loves me. Soul reason. God saved me because he loves me. The second thing he says 
is God um, purpose, God's purpose for saving me was to bring him glory. So no matter where you've been, no matter what you think of yourself, God loves you. And he saved you because he loves you. And then he's given you a purpose. And this purpose is to bring him glory. In your outline, I think I have some things listed there that shows you, okay, so then if I'm to bring God glory, how do I do that? Do I have to stand up in a pulpit and preach? Do I have to teach a Sunday school class? Do I have to go out on the street corners and evangelize? Maybe all of those things. Maybe none of those things. But he tells you to do these things. Be holy as he is holy. Forgive as Christ forgave you. Accept others as Christ accepted you. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us. And the last one says that live in the light as your Father is light. So God saved you because he loves you. God has a purpose for your life, and that purpose is to glorify him. And these are some ways you can do that. The second thing I want to say is that we are all created for God's purpose. One bad thing about that. We got separated from God because of sin. It's nothing new. You guys have heard it, and you know it. Still doesn't change the fact that we were all separated from God because of sin. In Isaiah, it says that your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. You think you're hiding your sins? You think no one knows? I think the scripture begs to differ. It says he doesn't, he's not going to hear you. You're going to be speaking up and the prayers are bouncing off the roof. And he's going to say, well, I couldn't quite hear that. I, I, I couldn't hear it. I heard you over here saying, I'm going to do me. That's what I was hearing. I didn't hear what you said. So sin has separated us. We want to glorify God. We want to live for God. There's one problem. We've got to get the sin out of the way. The good thing is God didn't get caught off guard and God didn't get unexpected problems with this sin. Because the next thing I want to say is that we're rescued through Christ. In Isaiah 43 and verse 1, the second half of the, of the verse says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. And I love this part. You are mine. He didn't say, I've summoned you by name, now you go do you, and I'll see you at the end. He said, I called you by name, I reached out and said, Rachel, you're mine. Lindsay, you're mine. Amos, you're mine. And that's good, it's convicting, it's encouraging, it's a bunch of different emotions we feel because that, you have the God of all creation that said, I'm going to create you in my image. Everything that's holy, everything that's right, everything that's just is in you. Now, you chose to turn away because of sin, but I still love you. I want to save you because I love you, and i got a purpose for you. So here's Jesus. And I'm not going to throw out a blanket, just an informal, not personal invitation. I'm going to say, Steve, you're mine, and I want you to serve me. So we're saved through this blood of Christ. Number four I have here says that we are instructed. We're not persuaded. We're not just, uh, it's not just thrown out there saying, hey, if you want to do this, do it. We are instructed to live in community with one another. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says this, and this is the scripture that uh, I put as the main one just because I felt that God was saying this is speaking to what you guys are trying to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 says it so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work 
in growing in the knowledge of God. Another version that will say it in this way. Excuse me, I jumped to Colossians. I wanted to be in Corinthians, so that is what 1 Colossians 10 says. That's good. That's good stuff. This is what I want to read to you. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. That's you. That's me. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, that there may be no divisions among you, but that you are perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, I want you to think about your church life. I want you to think about the last six months at Mount Zion. Have you always agreed with everyone? Have we all been on the same mindset and thought pattern as we've been moving forward? I can't answer that. But what the scripture is telling us is, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, through Christ, that this is how you're to live as the body of believers, as the family of Mount Zion Baptist Church, that you agree with one another and there be no divisions among you. And so as you think life groups, is my life group welcoming to someone that's just visiting? Is my life group reaching out to other people and saying, come join us? Or is my life group at 930, we get in our room and we close the door and we say, we're, this is our group. If you want to join a new group, they're over there. All of our groups are, are to be open. All of our groups are to be accepting. All of our groups are to be of one mind and one thought. And that mind and that thought is to glorify God, to glorify Christ. That's what we're shooting for here. So in God's perfect plan, established before the foundations of the earth, God made his church up of imperfect people. We can read about all the disciples, how imperfect they were. We can read about different characters throughout the scripture and how imperfect their life was. And still God, in some way, was able to create this perfect body of believers through the blood of Christ. So believe it or not, you're God's plan. But believe it or not, you, that you're looking in the mirror every day, that you know your thoughts, that you know the words you use, you know the, the, the ways you act, believe it or not, God planned you that way. And so we, don't, we shouldn't look in the mirror and, and be upset with who God made us to be. We shouldn't be down and sad about the way God has allowed us to interact with people and do life. We should embrace it and say, God, I, I don't see it. Like, I, I don't see you when I look at this. And, and if this is you, then I don't know. Scripture would say we are God's workmanship, that he actually put us together informed us. And I don't know about you, but whenever I work on something and build something and create something, and, and I'm not creative of all, by the way. I would make something and I would say, that is not good. But God was not. God created everything and said, this is good. This is in my image. Now go out and live life together. So believe it or not, you're in God's plan, and it's hard to believe that God has chosen imperfect people throughout creation. So living in community with one another. So this is the question. If, we're gonna, if we know that we were created in God's image, if we know that sin separated us from God, if we know because Isaiah said it that we are rescued through the blood of Christ, if we know that Jesus was born, that he lived, and he died so that we can all be restored back into this perfect relationship with him, 
and we know that we're instructed to live in community together, then the question has to be, why do I need to be in a life group? I think the question should be, how could I not be in a life group? Like if God's called me to all this and he's saying, the image of someone um, swimming and being drowned is the image I picture when I think of sin just sucking us under. And the visual image of Jesus reaching down and grabbing you and pulling you up and walking you to the shore and putting you over here and now we're safe. Who am I to be the one that was almost gone in a way to now the one that is saved? Who am I to say I don't want to live in community with the people God considered to be worthy? That's me doing me. If I think I got it all on my own, that's Russell doing Russell. That's Russell not caring what happened in Lynn's life this week. That's Russell saying, Alphonia will get over it. She's tough. You know, she's got it. And she is tough, by the way. She is. But that's not what God called us to do. God did not call us to do it on our own. So why should I be in a life group? I have a few things here to tell you why. Number one reason, love. The number one reason you should be in a life group is love. Jesus said it himself. He said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What does love look like? Love looks like service. Love looks like me stepping into your world and being observant. Uh, We did a study in the youth um, on worship. And one of the main things we talked about was worship is our response to God for what God has done in our life. And that's true for you too, not just the youth. That worship is our response to what God has done in your life. And in order for me to respond to something, then I first have to see what happened. I have to be observant to what's going on around me. If I wake up every day and all I'm focused on is what Russell has to do, and I'm not saying, God, what is happening around me, then I won't miss, or excuse me, I won't see the opportunity God gives me to worship him. And so worship and love are service. I need to look around and say, one of the things we said Wednesday night was, a true servant does not wait to be asked. If someone asks you to help them with something, guess what? You waited too long. You should have noticed as we're abiding together, as I know your life and you know my life, I should know there's a need in your life. I should know you're moving on Friday and may need help. Worst telephone call ever you'll get. Can you help me move? And if you're like me, you get a lot of excuses really quick. Like, no, I got to do this and that. You can use my truck, though, if you need it. Like, I'm I'm willing to give you that. But me, personally, I don't know. I can't. So love is service. Love is also this. Love is selflessness. Because if I want to serve you, I got to be selfless. I can't wake up and say, Russell, what's in it for you today? Like, what are we doing today? I want to please me. I have to be willing to say, I have a plan And my plan was not to take Raul to the bike shop, but if Raul wants to go to the bike shop, I love Raul. I'm going to take him. And we'll make it happen. All these things. So I want to serve you. I want to be selfless. Very important, this one. Go with me for one moment. you got to be able to relinquish relinquish your self-rights. Oh, that's hard to say in today's world. Because we're living in a world... Where it's my way, or I don't, we, we can't do life together. We can't do it. If you don't see things my way, then you better go find a group that does see it that way because you're out of my circle. And Chris says it, and we, we live by it, and, and it's one thing. We have lost the ability to agree to disagree in this world. 
you know? I may not agree with your political stance. I may not agree with your college football choice, Wayne. We all can't be Bama fans. But I got to be able to say, that's okay. You go for Mississippi State, and you go for Georgia, and you do this, and you do that. I love you as my brother and sister in Christ, but that's not going to break me apart from you. Joy and I have totally different styles of life, leadership, whatever you want to say it. If, if Joy and I were given a job, Joy would probably originally go and make a list on this is what has to happen with that job. I would immediately go and grab 10 people and say, okay, we need to figure out how to get this job done. And enjoy it. Hers is better. I'm not going to lie. Hers is better because when I get the 10 people together, they're going to say, what are we doing? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Let's figure it out. She's going to figure it out and then go get her people, and it's going to be smooth. But we're different. But guess what? I love her. She loves me, and we're doing life together. It doesn't separate us. And so you got to be selfless. The number two reason you should be in a life group, support and companionship. One love, two support and companionship. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 and 27 says, So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. It says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So show compassion when one of your family members are hurting. Celebrate with someone when they have a victory in their life. Speak truth into someone's life when it's necessary. Now, to all three of those things, I think the third one is the hardest thing for Russell to do. I'll feel sad with you. Like, I know Haley has talked to me this morning about some things going on in her world, and when she's over here worshiping the Lord through what I know is going on, I feel that. Like, I feel for her. I love her. I'm praying for her. Uh, people have victories in their life, and they call and say, hey, this just happened. I'm like, man, that's awesome. But when you do something that's messed up, and I, as your friend, leader, have to step in and say, hmm, this was not awesome. Let's go this way. I, that's the part Russell doesn't enjoy. But it's necessary. It's necessary for growth. It's necessary for me and my walk with God. I think Crystal wouldn't mind me sharing, but when she did call when, and I said, hey, what's going on? And she said, well, you haven't called me in two weeks. I said, well, guess what? Like, you didn't call me. Like, you didn't call me either. So I was here. Like, you could have called me. And so we talked. And we talked about life group a lot. And we've talked about life group and how I can contribute in life group, how I can add who I am to that group to make it what I think it should be. And so... When you start working with people and you're being around people and you want to be in a life group, they're there to support. They're there to be your companion. But guess what? You're also there to be their support and their companion. Don't sit on the outside and say, you never called me. You didn't celebrate this with me. You didn't know I was going through that. You didn't let anybody know. I hate to tell you, we can't read minds. None of us can. Women, a little better. But men, we definitely can't read minds. Somehow women have this intuition and they got it. Number three, you have a sense of belonging. You have a sense of belonging. Romans 12, 5 says that, So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all of the others, all with different talents, gifts, abilities, that all for the same purpose, 
all for that original purpose we said back here, to glorify God with our life. I don't know what your talent is. I don't know what your ability is, but get, you have one. And you may think, well, I can't use this talent for God. This is a random talent I have over here. I, I don't know. What can I do with God? I don't know. Invite someone else to share in your talent. You know? If you're a musician, there are easy ways to get plugged in at Mount Zion. If you're an artist, we are always exploring ways to gra do graphic designs and, and things. We need these people. And so I don't know what your talent is, but the scripture promises that we each have one. So your talent may be teaching, your talent may be leading, your talent may be evangelizing, your talent may be sweeping floors. We need those people too. I've glorified God some of the most times at Mount Zion Baptist Church by cleaning the school bathrooms when it was still here. No one was around, couldn't hear me singing, and I was just glorifying God, making a joyful noise to the urinals. So I don't know what your talent is, but it's there. It's there, and God wants to use you. So if you look around and say, can God use my talent at Mount Zion Baptist Church? Yes. Yes, he can. But the thing is, don't sit in that pew over there and say, I got this talent. Russell hasn't asked me to use it. Uh, uh, they don't ask, I need me. Just because you show up to church on a Sunday morning and church happens does not mean that church happens easily. Okay, we joke about this all the time because I think sometimes you guys show up and everything happens. People get checked in, someone preaches, we sing, we take up an offering, lights are on, air is working. They don't need me. It's all good. But I promise you to make that happen, there are a lot of people going a lot of different directions. And, it all, and I, I pray, I pray for people to call me on Monday and say, hey, can I help by like turning on the lights in this building? Uh, yes. Can I help by checking the air in this building? Yes, you can. Can I help by you know, blowing the leaves this way or cutting the grass that Yes, you can. And God is calling us to do that. This whole idea of life groups is us doing it together. We have to do it together. Number four, you, you can be a part of something bigger. So you go because people love you. You go to get support and companionship. You go to belong, but you can be something so much bigger. A gentleman named Tim Farley um, on a website online, I found this. It says, Christianity was never intended to be lived autonomously. Sorry, I have to slow that one down. It says, we are called to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, something that transcends culture and time, Christ's body, the church. You are called to be something that transcends culture and time. So no matter what is hot, and new right now. You get, you, you're living past that. It's going to be here for a moment, and then it's gone. But you are called to be something bigger. You are called to be something that's never going to fade. The body of Christ is going to be here for now and for eternity. The choice is, do you want to be a part of it? And what I'm telling you is, God's already chosen you to be a part of it. How long are you going to say, no, not me, I got this? Are you willing to be selfless? Are you willing to let down your guard and let down your self-rights and say, I may not have it all together. They may think that I'm weak, but I'm okay with that. What I love about the weak part, Jesus said that when you're weak, guess what? I'm strong. And if I can do something to make it, if I just got to be weak to make God be strong, hey, that's easy. I can be weak. You know? So you can do it. You can be a part. You may feel unworthy, you may not feel ready, you may feel uh, people are going to judge me, people aren't going to like my life, people aren't going to know this. And 
God knows. And he still pulled you to this spot right here. I love telling the story of Heather and I, one from Illinois and one from Pensacola, Florida. We meet in uh, Fort Hood, Texas in the Army. And after she got over this other boyfriend, we finally got together and she realized what was right in her life. <laughs> we ended up in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, I wouldn't have planned that when I was graduating high school in 1995. I wouldn't have planned that. I would have never said I would go to Atlanta, Georgia. I would have always stayed in the panhandle and hung out on the beach and done those kind of things. I definitely wouldn't have planned on going to Fort Hood, Texas and meeting someone from Illinois. I didn't even know where Illinois was. That's true. Heather can vouch for that. I'm terrible at geography. I can't point out anything. But God had a plan, and he pulled both of us out there. And he led our lives align in a perfect way that we would end up in Jonesboro, Georgia, living down the road where we had no idea where we were moving, so that on August 12, 2018, I'm standing here telling you, God had a plan for your life. As a group, we're more equipped to reach the next generation. Jesus understood this concept. Jesus took a group of his disciples, and he divided them up into groups. He gave them this command, and it's the same command that you and I have today. He said, go therefore and make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples. He didn't say sit in your pew and wait for a disciple to come along and you help them. He said, you got to go and make disciples. And making disciples is hard because disciples are me and disciples are you. And we're broken people. We're hurting people. We need a lot of attention. My wife will vouch for me. I, I mean, she, I'm guaranteeing she will. I need a lot of uh, verbal affirmations. I need to be told, hey, that was good or that was bad, you know, or, you know, I think sometimes Chris texts me, uh, hey, you did good on that. And I'm thinking, you're just doing that because you know that's my love language. Words of affirmation. <laughs> I don't think I did that well, but I appreciate it, though. And so that is who we are. We are broken people that need a lot of things, that don't feel worthy at times, that there's this God that created us in his image and allowed his son to die for us, and now in response, we get to live life together. We have been chosen to, to the good team. Like we've been chosen on, you've been in the park before, on the court, and you get picked on the bad team, and you know you're going to lose. If you come to open gym some nights, you sign up like the first five people are on a team, and the next five people are on a team. I'm going to be honest. I look to see who's on that list before I put my name down. I don't want to be on the bad team. With God, I didn't have to pick. He said, Russell, you're mine. You're on my team. And it took me 30 years of my life to figure out that I was on God's team. It took me a lot of down moments to figure out that I was on God's team. That when I was down here, God was still looking at me and saying, guess what, you're are created in my image. I have a plan for you. I love you, and I want you to glorify me with your life. And God has never once left me standing here or upstairs in a classroom or in a high school with nothing to say and no one to love and no one to serve out there going, oh, God told me to do this, and now there's no one here to serve. I promise you as you go out there, there are people to serve. We went to Mount Zion High School two weeks ago. They have 120 teachers. And I promise you, when I say the teachers waited at the door as we were coming down the hallway for us to pray at every one of their rooms, it was a little uncomfortable at times because we're praying with this teacher and there's another teacher there just like staring us down. Like, I'm next. 
I'm next. Come pray for my room. I'm... They need it. They want it. Guess what? John, Russell, Joy, Chris, Miss Becky, Miss Mary Ann, Miss Delane, all those that went with us, we're only a handful. We can't do it on, I cannot minister to 120 teachers at Mount Zion High School. But we can. We can. We can invade that school with God. It's open. Through fellowship of Christian athletes, it is open. And if you say prayer is not allowed in school and you're not trying to go pray at a school, please don't tell me prayer is not allowed at school. Please don't. Because prayer is allowed at school. You just got to get there before it starts and when it ends. But it's allowed. So I want you to look around. No, literally, look around you right now. Like, look around. That's your family. I know what some of you are thinking, like, for real? I thought you said we was on the good team. But look around. That is your family. This is the group of people that God has assembled here to be, the Mount Zion Baptist Church family. This is it. Love it or leave it, for better or worse. Till death do us part or God calls you somewhere else, these are your peoples. And so embrace it. Just like your regular family, there's going to be disagreements. There's going to be disappointments. But there's also going to be victories. There's also going to be celebrations. So stop trying to do life on your own. Just stop. You're not going to succeed. You're going to continue to fall and continue to fail. And the whole time, this team is over here waiting for you to come on and join. You could be the LeBron of the NBA. You can just keep jumping from winner to winner. Or you could just come and be a part of the 1995 Bulls, and they're just great. Come aboard. We want you. Can I use my gift for you guys? Yes, you may. If we could eradicate one statement of Mount Zion Baptist Church, it would be this in Russell's opinion. Y'all's church. Y'all's this. Y'all's plan. Because guess what? It's our church. And if you have an opinion, I want to hear it. If you have a thought, I want to hear it. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to listen and go that way. But it's welcome. It may be a great plan. It may be a terrible plan. I have a lot of those. But what I'm telling you is don't just think it's top down, that we're just going to be dictators and make every decision. We want to live this life together with you guys. And the only way we're going to get to where we want to be is together. And so my prayer for you is just this morning. Ask yourself, am I a member of a life group? If I'm not a member of a life group, how do I get connected? I've brought 50 life group books with me today. Not enough for everyone, but every family can have one if we want to. It lists why we do life groups, where life groups meet, who's the teacher of that life group. It even has a diagram of the building with the classroom and the name. So you have no excuse. Like, oh, I didn't know where they met or what day or what time. I really want it. It's there, and you are welcome. Because we have a task to reach this community with the gospel. We have been called. We have been appointed. We have been ordained to go out in the power of Christ and reach this community. Get into a life group, get plugged in, and be a part of the movement. We suck it, suck it,